1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Security Token Show. This is episode 38, where we'll be covering Telegram and the Crypto Red Wedding. My name is Hurry Konings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Sondland. Hey everybody,
0: welcome back. This week, as Herwig mentioned, it's the Telegram case. It's the red wedding for the crypto space. We're talking about the recent news that 11 lawsuits were filed against multiple crypto firms for violating securities laws, and we're here to try to piece it all together for you. So we we covered this topic for the first time around episode 8, where Herwig and I broke down the Ripple lawsuit and how the results could define security tokens. So definitely check that one out as well. But in this one, we're going to be talking about Telegram and many of the other companies in the crypto space that are being affected today. So before we jump into that, though, we do like to begin our segment or our show with the the Companies of the Week segment, followed by our industry news segment, some STO updates and market activity, and then we jump into that main topic. So without further ado, Herwig, I'm very, very curious. This week, what do you got for Company of the Week?
1: Well, actually, a few weeks ago, Kyle, you may remember that I nominated the French AMF, the securities regulator in France there, as my regulator of the week. Uh, So (laughs) instead of a company, I'm going to do that exactly again this week because... You know, I wanted to highlight last time the amazing thing that the, the French AMF did there in regards to calling for a European-wide security token sandbox, and, and I thought that was so great. It's the same reason that in the past the SEC and Taiwan's SEC, sfec have also been, been winners for big moves like that, and now I'm excited to add Switzerland's FINMA, or the Swiss Financial Market Supervisory Authority, as the fourth regulator of the a week on the Security Token Show, and they deserve it because it is always a big deal when financial regulators acknowledge and support security tokens. FINMA is seen as one of the world's biggest financial authorities due to the large banking sector in Switzerland, and last week, they published their annual report for 2019, which highlighted security token offerings and distributed ledger technology in the report. Specifically, the regulator said that they see the value in the technology, but calls for current financial frame works to be updated to better support the infrastructure needed for digital trade, settlement, and custody to occur on-chain. Overall, they're bullish on working with financial institutions, technology companies, legislators, and industry groups to foster adoption for blockchain in the Swiss financial markets. A huge move for that ecosystem. Congratulations to FINMA for being my regulator of the week.
0: Another great regulator, another great week of seeing more jurisdictions adopting the ideals behind tokenization for securities, embracing the efficiencies and benefits it can provide for their jurisdiction, and another great company of the week for you, Herwig.
1: It's a big deal, and I hope it's a trend that continues to occur throughout the world. But Kyle, I know you've probably got yourself a company. Tell me, who's your company of the week?
0: Of course, I've got myself company this week. Let's talk about a company of the week that we've actually talked about on multiple times across our podcast for their successful developments on the technical side of tokenizing assets. And this week, I'm talking about R3, who has leveraged their enterprise blockchain called Corda to issue securities on a public ledger. And so R3 has made headlines in 2020 via an announcement we made a couple weeks ago with the fourth largest bank in the world, HSBC, in which 10 billion of their paper-based private placement records were placed and tracked on the Corda blockchain and that has already happened, they have done that. And so that was super exciting. And this week to support the onboarding of additional institutional banks just like HSBC, R3 has announced that they are partnering with an Asian custody provider, which is a Hong Kong-based Hex Trust. And it has been noted that the firm has worked with other custody partners, but Hex Trust is the financier of choice for the Asian markets. So This is really exciting because R3 already working with HSBC. They've got other financial institutions based out of the the Asian markets, such as Hong Kong or Japan, which we've seen as really scaling quite rapidly. And they're looking to have have an additional Asian custody provider to assist with the onboarding process there. And so the, the article continues in this Coindesk feature that Hex noted that they're working with one of the largest Asian banks, and R3 also mentioned it has several additional security token projects in the worst In the works, rather. With an ever-expanding suite of services and partnerships, a solid client pipeline, and a dedication to the asset-backed security token industry, I'm very excited to give R3 my company of the week for their great work that they're doing globally, especially with a focus on Hong Kong and the Asian markets, which for another consecutive week, Herwig, are making headlines with progressive and innovative product launches and announcements. So congratulations to R3. I'm so excited about their launches and, and all of their work that they've been
1: doing that's really awesome kyle it's it's honestly a shocker that r3 hasn't made it a company of the week in the past but there's always such great things going on every week and this time they earned it for sure with hex trust and all the exciting things that they've been up to in the space great great company congratulations to r3 Absolutely. and with that i think we can jump right into the news segment. And this week, I'm actually going to start off the new segment with a focus on stablecoins. As a result of many countries needing now to distribute capital to both its citizens and its businesses, many programs, governments, and legislators are looking at stablecoins as a solution to distribute capital that is, of course, tied to its native currency, but can also be accepted digitally and tracked programmatically to ensure everyone gets their entitled amount. Now, despite best efforts, it will not be happening on a federal level in the U.S., but there are signs that many other governments are working on it, including China's central bank and South Korea's central bank, both trialing federally issued stablecoin solutions. And now we've also got word that the Bank de France, the central bank of France, is piloting a digital euro stablecoin as well. So in a, in a statement calling on financial institutions and technology companies to work with the central bank, they said the following of the technology, quote, these projects are focused on the creation and circulation of digital tokens intended to replace cash or represent financial instruments. They form part of an underlying trend characterized by the emergence of new forms of digital assets such as utility tokens, security tokens, and stablecoins, which are prompting financial authorities to consider the associated opportunities, risks, and challenges. And as I just pointed out with my Regulator of the Week, Kyle, I love it when major stakeholders in a financial ecosystem strive to support security tokens. And now France has both its security regulator, the AMF, and the central bank on board with security tokens. That's two major points for France's ecosystem. Love to see it. And one would expect a lot of innovation to stem from the region going forward as a result. Over in the ja- in Japan, the government has been very active too. You know, we've chronicled the meteoric rise of the J- Japan's ecosystem over the last nine months of the podcast, and there too, the government has been very supportive towards the adoption of digital securities infrastructure. Though not officially kicking until May first, Japan has officially passed several pieces of legislation to support STOs and digital securities. Specifically, ICOs and STOs are now defined clearly by legislation. Something we've supported governments for doing uh, around the world, and some measures have also been put in place to give the Japanese security regulators more enforcement controls over exchanges and issuers. This is definitely promising news for Japan's security token ecosystem as well. Lots of exciting, positive changes happening around the world. But bringing it back to the US, we may not see such same excitement. We saw another update on the Ripple XRP lawsuit. For those not familiar with it, Ripple, the issuer of XRP, has been embroiled in a two year long lawsuit by some of the purchasers of XRP for violating securities laws, at least originally, they said. Now, after a lot of additional judge commentary, the plaintiffs seem to be hedging their strategy in case the securities violations don't pan out in the result that XRP isn't actually defined as a security or in the case that perhaps the, the timing uh, has ran out for them to be able to remedy their losses. So they're adding additional claims specifically those for false advertising and for violating business competition laws in California. This is definitely an interesting strategy because if XRP is not labeled as a security, then they still seem to have a way of saying it was false advertising of a product because the CEO and the company acted against public statements, in this case referring to statements about executives saying they would not sell XRP. But of course, this being on a public blockchain, the transaction history from those executive's wallets definitely says otherwise. So it's definitely a fascinating update to the case as now it looks like the plaintiffs are trying to lock Ripple to, into a sort of violation regardless of whether it gets labeled as a security and definitely relevant towards our main topic, which we're going to get later on in the show. And the SEC has also given an update on t 0s aspirations to launch a national stock exchange, which is called the Boston Security Token Exchange. In order to do so, the company had to file a request to change specific SEC rules to operate, and there's been some back and forth already between the SEC and the company. But last Wednesday, the SEC said it specifically wants feedback on whether the proposed exchange's operations are consistent with parts of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 as well as questioning whether the information is provided so far is sufficient to making a ruling on their approval. Additionally, and more importantly, the commission warned also that if not adequately addressed, these hurdles would be grounds for Disapproval. Now, this would, of course, result in major delays, potentially indefinitely, to the project. And you know, not, of course, this you know T zero and the joint venture partner box uh, behind it, of course, have time to respond. But so does the public, who who have been weighing in from the sidelines on this as well. We'll continue to keep you updated on this sort of first of its kind national security token exchange saga. And in company news, we saw tokenization company DigiShares announce a partnership with Abacus Exchange to deliver on an end-to-end digital security solutions. Klaus Skonning, CEO of DigiShares, says, quote, the tokenization industry is still not able to deliver on its promises of reduced fees and increased liquidity, mainly due to the lack of operational security token exchanges on the market. So they've partnered with Abacus as we see them as a potential leader in the space and a potential provider of liquidity to many issuances, that they've already facilitated through the DigiShares platform. Klaus goes on to say that they will work together with Abacus on developing end-to-end solutions where asset managers can be provided a transparent and secure process of token issuances and subsequent listing on a highly efficient liquid and transparent exchange such as Abacus prepared for digital assets from the start. And as many issuance platforms look to lock in liquidity providers such as exchanges and trading venues, DigiShares is looking to lock in with Abacus to try to give their issuers liquidity. This is definitely a trend we expect to continue to see, and as Klaus pointed out, there is still a lack of dedicated vendors in this space. However, it's worth mentioning that it's not clear from the announcement or from the Abacus website when their liquidity solution is expected to launch. We also saw another crypto startup make a pivot towards supporting security tokens, In this case, I'm talking about ActiveMarket.io, which has announced a new investment banking service called AM Crypto Capital. The firm specifically will provide traditional securities and credit analysis methods to crypto investors worldwide. And they're specialized in fundraising, strategic financial advisory services, digitalization of financial assets and blockchain-based platforms, uh, among other focuses such as ICOs, STOs, and IEOs. AM Crypto Capital's goal is to democratize alternative investments via equities, debts, derivatives, obligations, real estate, art pieces, classical cars, etc. by providing access, liquidity, and transparency to markets that were initially reserved for a minority of privileged people. And in that regards, the company says to provide a complete end-to-end solution. So we'll be sure on the lookout for more updates from this new player on the block, no pun intended, and no other comments as to any of their specific licensing or partners for the company. And speaking of security token infrastructure, last Friday, Security Token Advisors, the company that I run, also released its quarterly report on investment into security token infrastructure, I'm excited to say that now more than sixty million dollars was invested last quarter, which is more than double the average across last year. We saw some big Series A rounds, including BlockFi and Securrency, taking home eight figures each, and we also saw a lot of M&A consolidation activity. All this and more expected to continue into Q2 despite the coronavirus. But only time, of course, will tell. And it's also worth mentioning now to our, our new listeners that you can find any of the articles or information we discussed on the show in the description of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening from, or you can go to the source directly at stomarket.com and participate participate with the community there as well. So I also want to move on uh, to and highlight an op-ed article which uh, the reason I want to highlight is because I've been receiving a question a lot. Specifically, the question is, how will corona affect the security token industry? And you know, my answer may be a bit wishy-washy in the sense that, of course, I expect overall fundraising levels to go down, but I expect the industry itself to adapt. And good issuers will still need and find money, and due to the new social distancing rules across the world and stay-at-home orders, an emphasis on digital fundraising is definitely being fostered. And so as a result, tokenization will also see potential demand. And the demand may not come from issuers that we are seeing before this epidemic, but perhaps from new types of issuers. You know that are perhaps better opportunities uh, at a better price due to the economic conditions, or perhaps there will be new greater demand towards specific asset classes, such as fixed income products, instead of high-risk equities or real estate. So there's an op-ed by Victor Zhang, the CEO of Alpha Wallet, who goes on to make the same case, and that tokenization could actually be a saving grace for many businesses struggling due to the efficiency cost savings and, and access digital fundraising brings, as well as tokenization for both debt equity and potentially even tokenization of future product sales for when the business opens up again. So great article. Definitely go check that out. And there's one more that I want to mention to you all, which is uh, another interview on securities.io, this time with Benjamin Tsai, who is the managing partner of Wave Financial. For those of you who are active listeners, you may remember the name Wave as the company that is giving you access to an investment opportunity in Kentucky, Kentucky bourbon. But in this interview, Benjamin talks more about his founding story for Way Financial, his insights for the future of the industry, and of course, what they are doing in the space. It's definitely another great interview by the Securities.io team. And that's all I have for you wonderful listeners. Uh, with the news covered, I'm now going to go ahead and hand it over to you, Kyle, who can tell us a little bit more about some of these upcoming events in the space.
0: Great rundown, Herwig. We only have one event to talk about today. We had multiple events from, from previous episodes that unfortunately have been pushed back due to the whole coronavirus situation. And so they are moved back into November and later dates like that. So we'll bring those back around once we get a little bit closer to those events. But in the, the short term, we do have a Zoom event. This is by SolidBlock, and it is a property-backed digital security seminar that discusses not only that, but how they will transform real estate. And so this is a 14-session web seminar, and it's an introduction into the world of real estate tokenization, introducing the possibility of fractionalized investments in real estate, and it mentions a lot of coverage on how tokenization transforms properties into financial products that can be flexibly issued, traded, indexed, benchmarked, and more so definitely, if you 're interested in, in in real estate and tokenization, obviously real estate is a huge asset class, one that many people are looking into now, especially because of the volatility in the markets, both public and private. Real estate tends to be one of those asset classes that seems to thrive in circumstances like this so if you're interested in learning more about how technology can revolutionize that industry definitely check it out the first one is going to be tuesday april 21st at 9 a.m est so um, if you're interested definitely look forward to checking that one out moving forward into the stos and sto updates we have an an update from Realty. Realty is a Florida-based real estate issuance platform. We've covered them many times due to their success in tokenizing real estate properties. They now have six properties live, and their announcement comes from David Hoffman, who is the chief operations officer over at Realty. And he announced that in coordination with their most recent real estate property launch, which we did cover on episode 36, 2020 Leisure Street, which is their sixth property, Realty announced that it marks a major milestone for the company in that they've officially tokenized over $1 million worth of assets on the Ethereum blockchain. They gave many of interesting stats along with that announcement on their page. A couple that I found incredibly interesting were that they have onboarded investors from over 40 different countries so far who have purchased and received ownership of these U.S. properties. As a reminder, U.S. investors actually cannot participate in these offerings at this time, and so they are working directly with international investors from over 40 different countries. The largest realty investors come from France, Germany, Singapore, and Argentina. But the company does note that it has also sold properties to customers all over the world, including from Ghana, Cambodia, and even Thailand. So congratulations to Realty for really increasing the opportunity of investment for investors all around the world to be able to participate in the United States real estate markets. And they've done, obviously, a great job. We cover them very often. So congratulations to Realty for their million dollars plus of property tokenization so far. And here's to the next million
1: more. That's huge. Really cool to see. They're an awesome team. Absolutely. Can't wait to see more and more properties get listed.
0: Regarding new STOs, we don't have any, unfortunately, this week. But in terms of our market update for the secondary trading, Security Token Market released their market report for March 2020, where they take a full deep dive look into the assets and how they're performing on secondary markets based off of their pricing data that's sourced from the site at stomarket.com. And so I thought it might be interesting to give a a quick rundown of that as well before we dive into the the April statistics. And so in terms of the summary from March, we have a total security token market cap at the close of March 31st, I believe, was $52 million, $511,000. So about $52.5 million in terms of security token market cap with 13 live listed security tokens on the site. Those are all being tracked by the company and in t- march 2020 the total trading volume of all tokens in aggregate was $328,000 in just the month of march with a trading volume monthly change of of just about even from february it was about 0.08% less so just about the same there and then as as we've talked about and covered before in terms of the leading market cap by exchange we lead it off with t0 which has a market cap of 27 million across its tokens but it only has one token so the t0 token closed at a 27 million dollar market cap and with a trading volume an aggregate of 268,000 US dollars over the month of march second is open finance open finance network has a market cap of all of their combined tokens which is 5 of 23,527,000 with a trading volume of only 12,000 across all 5 tokens in the month of march with multiple tokens that had no trading volume across the entire month of March. So very interesting to compare between that and T0. Similar market caps, 27 million versus 23, but we're talking about a a factor of 20 times more trading volume on the T0 marketplace. Finally, we have Uniswap, which does have a lower, a much lower um, market cap because the assets themselves that they're trading are lower in volume or in market cap rather. But it has a a comparable volume in the fact that it's got a 1,007,000 market cap as of the end of March with a trading volume of 47,000. So it is trading at about three times the volume that Open Finance does. It does have six tokens as well on the platform. So Uniswap is is slowly uh, rocketing up the charts as as really providing a, a real liquidity source for many of these assets. We now have Mount Pelerin, their, their tokenized equity as well is being seen and tracked on the Uniswap exchange. So it'll be interesting to see as we continue to scale if more and more issuers gravitate towards that liquidity provider, because it seems like it, it does have the, the most progressive and uh, active onboarding process for new tokens. Additionally, we have the best performing security token of this month was BCAP, Blockchain Capital's Venture Capital token. That is at $1.35. It was up 12.5% in the month of March. We have the worst performing security token, which was Lottery.com. We've covered some of their issues in the past. That's now sitting closed at $0.10, cents at a 33% decline from March. And uh, as, we, as we noted already, four tokens were added. Four new tokens went live in the month of March those included three real estate properties and one equity token regarding our sto market cap for the the month following the end of March though we do have our identified market cap of the sto industry it is down about 10% from the end of March sitting at about 47 million now t0's price has held out okay right around that $1 range for pretty much the whole week But the trading volume itself has been on the significant decline. We're consistently seeing trading days with less than $1,000 of trading volume, which was something that we really hadn't seen at all across most of 2019. So to see it relatively consistently now is a bit concerning. We've covered in extreme detail over the, the weeks and months why there's potentially a waning investor interest, but potentially because there's only one token trading. Other tokens that we see in the industry, OFN didn't have a single trade this week, so Open Finance was not active. The investors were not very interested this week. That does seem to fall in line with the decline in interest from T0. But Matt Pellerin from from, uh, Uniswap Exchange that we just recently covered and just recently began tracking has experienced a sharp decline down about 40% since we tracked it on our platform a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So it does seem that maybe... uh, you know some they're feeling it a little bit now that the uh, that the markets are getting hit. However, the real estate properties on UniSwap have been performing pretty well relative to the current market climate. They have held steady prices despite their global turbulence, and even the Marlow Street property itself was the real winner on Monday, up almost ten percent. Uh, as of the time of recording, so these real real estate properties—they're holding their value. Her week, we covered that in, in our main topic a few episodes ago, comparing the public versus the private markets. It might be something that that we'll revisit in the coming weeks as the markets continue to to make moves and stable out a little bit. But the the real estate properties are holding in there strong.
1: Fascinating. Everything seems to be on trend with what we discussed in that episode. That was indeed two episodes ago, so go check that out. But uh, definitely very interesting market update, Kyle.
0: And I think with that, we can transition into our main topic, which this week is the lawsuit from, from law firms Selendi and Gay, as well as Roche Nick. Uh, who filed 11 class action lawsuits against many of these crypto exchanges. And Herwig, I'd love to, to hear a, a little rundown from your perspective.
1: That's right. Last week's episode of the show contained an update regarding the famed Telegram ICO case with the SEC. But for those of you who did not catch that, the short version is that a global $1.7 billion, with a B, dollar ICO has been halted because the SEC is investigating the issuer, which is a messenger company with over 300 million active users, for violating securities laws with the ICO. The update last week was the judge has supported the SEC in their request to halt the issuance of grant tokens to buyers, which was meant to occur this month as a major event. Now, the details of the case are that Grams as tokens were sold in a way that violated securities laws. This has been the case for many ICOs who, from their perspective, might be issuing utilities or pieces of software meant to interact and function within a blockchain ecosystem. Certainly not something meant as an investment opportunity. Some others may look at it as a way of just something more akin to investing in rare baseball cards, but purchasing those baseball cards and, and the baseball cards themselves are not securities or investment opportunities. And the SEC has been using a a famous court case precedent to enforce what it sees as the law, which is known as the Howey Test. It's worth understanding that in this case, the issue was that a contract representing a land with citrus grows in question of whether or not it was a security and ultimately found that it was. The SEC found that Howey's use of interstate commerce to market the contract was grounds that established the sale of unregistered securities. And as a result... The Howey test was formed by the Supreme Court to help the SEC identify what are investment contracts for future cases. And interestingly enough, of course, that case also found that it was the contract that was a security; it was not the oranges themselves, which, of course, are commodities uh, that that did not, you know, they stayed commodities; they did not become securities as a result of the transaction. And, of course, now the case with Telegram, the SEC is charging that the sale of Grams is part of an overall scheme, and Grams themselves are securities, which is a fascinating twist to what was expected. And that means the SEC is saying that these pieces of software might, in fact, be securities as a result, and even post-issuance, which would make them be required to follow securities laws, where they are only available, of course, uh, for purchase within a compliant ecosystem, which is supposed to include the US, by the way, because many... Many of the ICO participants were American citizens and companies. Now the court ended up giving out a win to both sides: to the SEC saying that the overall scheme may indeed have violated securities laws, and to Telegram that the grams to say that the grams themselves are irrelevant necessarily to the SEC's case for making a case that there was an overall scheme, and not necessarily that the grams themselves are within question. This doesn't necessarily absolve the grams of eventually being labeled securities, but it looks like the court. Acknowledges that that's not what's in question, which means there's a potential path for grants to be given clearance as not qualifying as a security. Well, it's my get my guess, Kyle, that there's no coincidence that within weeks of this happening, especially with this court uh, information from a few weeks ago that now simultaneously a pair of law firms have filed 11 lawsuits in the New York Federal Court against various ICO issuers and blockchain exchanges for violating securities laws regarding selling unregistered securities and manipulative conduct by exchanges. Many are calling this move the Red Wedding in reference to the bloody massacre featured in Game of Thrones as a potential reference to the negative effect this may have on the crypto industry. The Law firms in question are Solendi and gay and Roche Cyrilnook Friedman and they have named exchanges Binance, Buybox, BitMEX, and Qcoin, as well as digital token issuers Block One, otherwise known for issuing EOS. Tron for their TRX token, Bancor for their BNT token, Civic for their CVC token, KyberCoin for their KNC uh, token, Quantstamp for their QSP token, and Status for their SNT token. In addition, there were numerous company executives, including notable names like Civic founder Vinnie Lingham, Binance founder Cheng Peng Zhao, and BitMEX co-founder and CEO Arthur Hayes. The law firm's previously represented plaintiffs in the case against Craig Wright and Bitfinex to give you some context. Now, Philip solendi one of the lead partners on the cases, specifically said in, in a, an article, quote, the crypto asset market has exploded in the last few years with ICOs that make great promises but deny investors critical information on the securities sold. Not unlike the mortgage crisis that led to the Great Recession, the alleged pattern of misconduct by exchanges and issuers yielded billions in profits for wrongdoers through a basic betrayal of public trust. The lawsuits we filed seek to restore integrity and transparency to these new financial markets. Powerful statement uh, to to show you some insight as to why they're going about these lawsuits. Kyle, I'd love to hear what you make out of all this.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? it? This is serious stuff. I mean, here in the US, the financial rules can be very strict regarding liquidity providers and the actions that they can partake in for example, providing exchange services such as an order book, which essentially allows a full list of investors to bid on the prices that they're willing to pay to improve efficiencies in market trading, is something that's very highly regulated. And it, in fact, it requires a high degree of regulatory licensing even to be able to do that. It's why we see no such thing with you know, Open Finance and, and their current situation. They, they, I think they have some sort of, of order book, but it's definitely not quite as well-defined or or quite as robust as what we've seen in in public markets. And there's there's a reason for that, right? Other actions such as listing potentially unregistered securities, providing trading services to retail non-accredited investors, And even just calling yourself an exchange can be seriously frowned upon, if not outright illegal, to do so without the proper licenses. This is something that I'm actually trying to change my own lingo, because in some cases, I've called a lot of these marketplaces exchanges. And we have to be careful, because a lot of them, in fact, are not exchanges. And they need to be very cognizant of that. So through both personal experience of working closely in this industry for the better part of four years now, as well as reading some of the details in the filed complaint it does seem to me that many of the cited firms have engaged in some, if not all, of these restricted activities I've noted, in addition to potentially many more. So it's going to be very interesting. It does go to mention, Herwig, that we are not lawyers. And this is not legal advice in any way, shape, or form. But from a personal opinion, it seems like there have been many accounts of blurred lines regarding the securities law and the action many of these firms have taken. So. So many so that I've actually seen Binance recently pull a partnership with Visa for a credit card, and they were even renounced recently by the financial regulatory body of Malta, who claimed that the company was not adhering to their rules and regulations despite being officially based there. So on top of this, we've seen many other firms cited like Civic, Tron, EOS, and others conducting offerings that definitely seem to share many similarities with traditional private securities offerings. Most of these ICOs were open to retail investors, for example, and many didn't even collect KYC information from their investors. So all of these things are huge no-nos in the eyes of the law. But on top of that, with no products or services to show for the hundreds of millions of dollars that they collectively raise between all of these firms, it does seem that the investors really do have something to be upset about. On the plus side, EOS was able to fully cooperate with the SEC regarding its investor onboarding. We covered that one in a, cu- a couple episodes ago. And it may have paved the way for some of these companies to move past these initial stumbles to continue innovating. Some firms like Binance, for example, have built tremendous products. And I really believe they have revolutionized capital market theory as well as user experience in the space. So I'd hate to see rulings like this ruin their momentum for firms that actually have built successful products and this could potentially open the door for these firms to embrace the security token space through compliant measures instead of avoiding the industry altogether like we've seen. I think that the, the only other contrast is what we've seen from, as you mentioned, with the Gram tokens from Telegram, Telegram has been notoriously working against what the SEC is trying to do. They have not... Uh, cooperated in any means. And that's caused quite a lot of issues. So it will be very interesting to see which firms decide to work in full cooperation. And if they're, they're able to find some way to, to work together, again, potentially if they do, they'll be more open to embracing security tokens, which would be tremendous for, for the financial industry as a whole.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about all of that. It's fascinating to see how it all ties together in the sense that even with the Ripple lawsuit, we see that despite it not potentially being a security, even though it's still potentially cleared, it, it, they still violated, advertised, false advertising rules, and other rules. So, in regards to the Telegram case, we see that that's what the court is more focused on. You know, what are the violations that they're doing on the grander scheme of raising over 1.7 billion dollars from investors? So it seems like the, there's definitely a focus, you know, around the the greater violation. Uh, as opposed to just a, a need to say, hey, you know, ICOs are security. So I think that's a good thing in the sense that you know people people are looking for remedy here. These these law firms have identified violations where people have been hurt and they're seeking remedy for that. Uh, but there is of course the possibility that as a result these lawsuits will exacerbate the issues here in the U.S. for the crypto community, which you know in my opinion will actually force more focus on one specifically existing solutions like. Security tokens, as you suggested, Kyle, and two, of course, the need for a crypto-friendly framework and legal definition for ICOs and decentralized blockchain applications. At the end of the day, these lawsuits will ultimately set many precedents for future cases and hopeful issuers. And you know, I, I hope that we're both right in the in that this will be both. Remedy for victims in any of these alleged cases, but also a call for change and clarity for the for the U.S. crypto community. But it's also possible that this could definitely put an end to the ICO model and hurt the larger blockchain community in the U.S. As projects shy away and look for friendlier jurisdictions due to all these lawsuits and friendly um, results potentially towards the regulators. You know we've covered it before, but change will and then as a result only come from legislation legislation or from the regulators, hopefully in either the form of a bill or a rule change like making Regulation A-plus easier to leverage or by introducing a safe harbor such as Commissioner Hester Pierce's proposal. So that's the, the only way we'll see change, but what this will certainly do is bring a lot more potentially even global attention to both the crypto topic as well as the definition for securities versus crypto assets and the like.
0: I think you're totally right, Herwig. Precedent at least will lead to some sort of clarity so that issuers, technology providers, financial firms, even regulators alike will understand what has been clearly defined instead of being in a gray area. I mean, the prime question does remain regarding how progressive those precedents might be. As we've seen, some indicators that the line between a conservative approach versus an innovative approach is still in the balance. I mean, we've got Hester Pierce's proposal, which seems very exciting, or some of these cryptocurrency acts. But then on the other side, there does seem to be the the SEC taking a more conservative approach with a lot of this stuff, certainly what we've seen over the past couple of years. And they've focused more on, on clamping down on fraud as opposed to embracing innovation. So we'll definitely have to see where they continue to lean. But one thing's for sure, as these cases proceed, you know you can count on us to bring each and every update every step of the way. So with that, Herwig, I think that is episode 38 of the security Token Show.
1: Thanks, everyone, for listening, and hope you tune in next week.